All right. Good morning, church family. Everybody doing all right today? You guys good? How about this side over here? How you guys doing? You guys good? How about you guys over here? How you guys doing? See, see, because they were second, so then they, they knew what was going on. How about right here? How you guys doing? Okay, okay. How about you guys right now? Okay, now y'all were like the third group, so y'all should have known like by now what to do. Okay, but I'm coming back to you because I'm giving you grace because you were the first group. Right? How about you guys? You guys doing okay? All right, all right. Enough of that. Y'all be quiet in here, okay? Trying to get into this message. It was blessing me so much during worship. We got our 412 students up here in front. If you have a a 5th, 6th, or 7th grader student, I would encourage you uh, to make sure that they get to be a part of that. They're they're in here with us during worship, and then they uh, head back to the 412 room to hear their own sermon back there. Um, But man, I was watching some of these guys down here, and as they were singing, they're like, beating their chest and like raising their hands and just like uh, that part in the song, like, you know, no lie, you won't tear down, wall, you won't kick down, like kicking stuff, not each other, but maybe the front of the stage, it's okay, it's tough, it can handle it, but uh, I love the innocence of that, but what I'm very aware of is so many of us in this room, we've had our innocence stolen, man, our approach to God is just lost, it's innocence, it's lost. Um, just the passion and the purity that, that he created us to have. And, uh, and I'm, I'm believing that this word um, is going to bring some of us back to that place this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're, we're going to be looking at a, a portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 20. And, uh, and I'll get to that here in a little bit. But I want to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were the least important person in the room? Like you, you did not fit in, like you were the outcast. It was awkward for you. Uh, it's just difficult for you to even be in that room. Anybody ever felt like that before? Okay, you're my people because I was that way. And, and, and really, in a lot of ways, I still am. Like I know a lot of times I'm a, I come across like I'm, I'm a pretty confident guy. And for the most part, I am. But I can walk into some social settings and I'm just like, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Like it's just awkward for me. Uh, because I, I think a lot of it's just because for a long period of time throughout the course of my life, man, I just, I didn't fit in. I didn't fit in. And, and, I, and a lot of it was just because of some personality stuff, some learning disorders. Some of it's because uh, because I was poor, because I was homeless at different points. And, and so uh, I get what it feels like in some respects. But all of us have probably felt that way. I remember one point, I, was, I went down to live with my mom my senior year in high school down in Texas, and, and uh, we, were, uh, we were trying out different churches and different things like that. I was trying out different youth groups, and, and I went to this one youth group, and, uh, and it was the Church of Christ youth group. Okay, and I love the Church of Christ. Uh, they're amazing people. But what I, I didn't realize was that when I went to the youth group and they did worship, and, and this isn't how all Church of Christ youth groups are, but this one was like this, okay? So uh, I just got to throw out some disclaimers there, but... But I went in there, and I was like, okay, these people are pretty cool, you know, for the most part. They kind of looked at me weird, you know, like, who's this kid? And Because I, I was from Colorado, right? So I'm back down in Texas, and I'm like, just wearing cargo shorts and some Chacos. And they're like, why is this guy wearing sandals, you know, to youth group? And I'm like, what's what Jesus did, so it's good enough for me, you know. And, and uh, But it's just, just Colorado kid, and 
So then things got started, and, and the youth leader was like, we're going to sing now. And I'm like, okay, cool, I like to sing. But Church of Christ is all a cappella, right? And I'm, I'm like, I got this. Uh, you know, it's like warming up and stuff. But they started singing, and it's like four-part harmony, and they're like echoing after each other and everything, and it's like very professional in a youth group. And I might have been a little pitchy, okay? I, I might have, but all of a sudden, I like see people like sitting around me. They're like, <laughs> like judging me because I didn't know how to sing the tenor one part of that particular song. And I definitely felt like an outsider at that point. And um, needless to say, I didn't go back to that youth group, but I found another youth group that was amazing. But all of us have probably on one level or another felt, felt like an outsider. Like just something, was maybe with like clothes. That's one thing, like fashion clothes. That's one thing that can make people feel like an outsider. Like you don't have all the, the cool clothes. That's a big thing for kids. I remember when I was in school, man, it was a big deal. Like having the right kind of pants. And I, we didn't have a lot of money. So when I was in like, you know, middle school and, and junior high, that's when like Levi's are really popular, you know, and they were tight rolling those suckers, you know, and that's back. Tight rolling is back. I don't know how that happened, but, but, and, and they had like, you know, silver tabs and all this stuff. And look, I had rustlers. It's really hard to make rustlers look good tight rolled. I'm just saying. And, and so maybe, maybe it's just simple things like that. It's little things like that, that you feel like you've been a little bit of an outsider before. Maybe you're just like ever being around that group of people and they have all these inside jokes, but you don't know any of the inside jokes. So you're just hanging out with you like, yeah, that was good that when that happened. That was funny. Yeah. Just trying to pretend like you understand what's going around. And here's the deal. I love, I love and respect all of our military people. If you're thankful for our military people, let's give them a hand this morning. Yeah. Love y'all. But when y'all start doing your acronym talk around civilians, <laughs> we're lost. We're just like, yeah, yeah, LNMP and the, the PRQ rotary girder. I got to go to the PTO, so peace out. All of us have probably had different things like that. Well, I want to speak to people that, that they feel this way on a deeper emotional level. Uh, and and they're, my, they're, they're what we might call in our society marginalized. Marginalized people. Webster defines it as this, to relegate to an unimportant or powerless position within a society or group. And and there are marginalized populations that live around us, that live in our culture and cultures around the world. Um, Certainly people that are, are caught up in human trafficking, people that are mentally ill, people that are incarcerated, people with low socioeconomic status, people that feel this way because of their ethnicity, their education, disabilities, disorders, single parents, widows, orphans, even veterans. These people that can feel on a very deep and painful level that they are in the margins of their society and of their culture. I think it's very important that we can see these people that we can recognize them, but how we see them and 
and how we recognize them is, I think, what matters. Last year, I, I, I went and got a new car. Not a new car, but a used new car. But it was, like, new for me. And I've been driving this this white Toyota Corolla for a while. And uh, it was getting up there in miles. I was starting to hear some stuff. And so I was like, I'm going to go ahead and trade this in. So I got another car. And I got a Chrysler 200. So it was like a major upgrade, all right? And I was feeling pretty good about myself driving around in my Chrysler 200. But I noticed like almost immediately after I got my car and I started driving around, I started noticing, man, there are a lot of Chrysler 200s. Like hey, when you first get a new car, you think like this, I'm like, this is new for me. This is, this is kind of a big, big deal. I'm going to kind of stick out with this new car. And then you start noticing everybody has that car. Like everybody has a car. So I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. It's like a Chrysler 200 brotherhood, you know? So you start seeing other people driving Chrysler 200. So you like give them the head nod, but they don't nod back. The Chrysler community is a little weak on that. But I thought it was going to be like the Jeep thing. All you Jeep people, you know, driving around. Hey, I drive a Jeep. Cool. Yeah, you probably never got it muddy, but that's cool. But <laughs> we're like the biker thing, you know. The bikers all wave at each other. They wave at each other. I, I, I had a bike at one point. Well, it was a 400cc scooter. But... Uh, but the thing is, from the front, you couldn't tell that it was a scooter. So I'd be driving down the highway and somebody would be coming, getting ready to pass me on a Harley or, you know, even a Crotchrock. Like, they'll even, they'll even respect each other even if they, they don't drive, like, American-built or foreign or whatever. They just, you know, motorcyclists. But it doesn't apply to scooterists, uh, I guess, because... I'd have guys like come up and they'd like stick their hand out the way and then realize what it was and, like, try to take it back. Like, no, no, you don't get one of those. But when you get out and you start noticing everybody else has got the same car as you, you feel good about that. My prayer for us is just that we would notice. That unfortunately, sometimes you don't notice until you're in the same spot. But I think what God would want us to do is to notice, even when we're not in the same place that some of these marginalized people might live in. I believe God's heart is that we would notice even if we can't completely relate, even if we're not living in their shoes every day, that we would notice. God has always had a huge heart for the marginalized, the poor and the needy, and it's always been his plan that his people, his church, the people of God, would be the answer to this pain and to this need. But we can't be if we won't recognize it, if we don't see it. Taking care of the poor is something that that God addressed even from the beginning of time, even in the Old Testament. It's interesting as you read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, these places where it talks about how it made provision for the needy and the poor and the hungry because when people would harvest their crops, the outside edges of their crop was called the gleaning. It's interesting because a lot of us may be aware of that term, like I gleaned something from something they said. You learned, you gathered something from something someone said, but it was originally a farming term that meant these out exterior portions of the crop. And it was actually written in by law, by God to say, hey, the gleanings, the outside edges, those are for the people in need. Those are for the poor, that they can come and they can have something to eat out of the harvest that I've given you. And it was an understanding that because people were obedient and they were blessed, 
that because they were blessed, they had a responsibility to recognize and see those that didn't have what they had. And they could be fed, and they could be loved, and they could be taken care of. Please note this, the poor and the needy still had to go and get the gleaning. It didn't just come to them. Like, they still had to work. But this was God's provision. And I feel like that's something that maybe as a culture and certainly as a body of Christ, sometimes we can definitely miss. James 1.27 says this, religion that our Father accepts as pure and flawless. How many of y'all want to not just have religion, but you want to have a relationship that God looks at and says, that's what I'm talking about. How many of y'all want that? Well, this is what it says that that consists of, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Okay, now that's just saying, well, cool. So orphans, widows, check, we're done. We got this. No, it's just talking about people in pain, people that are hurting. And to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Well, it's not just talking about sin. It's just talking about the world's perspective, too, the way the world approaches these people. We don't want to be polluted by their mindset. We want to have the Father God's mindset and how we look at them and how we see them. Jesus simply just looked at those that were in pain, and he gave them attention. So today I want to look at this. All of society is filled with these people that are marginalized. Our world is full of them, people that everyone kind of pushes to the side, pushes to the margins. And we're going to look at how Jesus treated these people. So the text that I mentioned earlier in Matthew chapter 20, let's read that together. It says, two blind men were sitting by the roadside and they heard that Jesus was going by. They shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped. He called to them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight from him. So here's Jesus with this huge crowd of people. Don't you think Jesus was a, probably a pretty busy guy? Like he probably had a lot of demands on him. You could imagine that with the crowds that were following him, they was already really loud. He could hear a lot of different voices and a lot of different needs and a lot of people crying out, a lot of people trying to get his attention. And he's trying to go somewhere. He, he is trying to be obedient to his heavenly father to go everywhere that he sends him to go and to do everything that he asks him to do. And as he's walking with this huge crowd around him, there's these two guys that are screaming and yelling in pain, suffering because they have been blind. And, and the people that, that had any kind of, of, of malformity or anything like that in that culture, man, they just, they, they were just... They just have to beg the rest of their lives. That's the only way that they could survive. And so there's these guys yelling and screaming, and everybody's like, hey, y'all be quiet. Uh, we're trying to talk to Jesus here. You guys need to be quiet. Stop screaming, making such a big fuss, making a scene, because Jesus has got some important things to do. He's got some important people to see. And we have some needs that he needs to hear, but y'all are interrupting us, being so loud. But Jesus hears through all of it. And here's these two men. 
And here's their pain. These guys are the marginalized in this story, but today they represent all the marginalized, the pushed aside, the forgotten people in our society. And the people around there were saying, hey, sit down, be quiet. And they were not having it. They were going to keep yelling and screaming even louder to get the attention of Jesus. There's a lot to learn in how Jesus responded to these two guys. First of all, love always starts with listening. Love always starts with listening. Now, as a culture, I'm sure we've all probably heard, you know, love comes from the heart. Valentine's Day, there's heart-shaped everything, you know. It always interests me, like, what if everything was the actual shape of a real heart? It wouldn't be quite as romantic, I don't think. But, but we all, like, have this impression, like, oh, just lovey-dovey heart. And all times. But the reality is this, that love starts when you are willing to listen. I remember when Cody and I were dating or any dating relationship, y'all know how this is. Like if you ever, even if it's not a long distance relationship, you always have the the phone calls, right? You're up late at night and you're on the phone and you run out of stuff to talk about in like 30 seconds, but you're still on the phone, right? And the man in the relationship typically is the one that doesn't have anything to say first, but the girl wants to keep on talking, So you just sit there and you listen and you listen. Most guys are probably doing something else at the same time while they're listening, you know, watching a little sports, playing a little Xbox, something like that. And every once in a while she say, are you listening? Oh, yeah, baby. Everything. Love you. Love you so much. And you're on forever. And then you get to the end of the conversation. It's like, you hang up first. No, you hang up first. No, you. No, you. I love you. I love you more. Okay, good night. Did you hang up? No, I didn't hang up. Blech. But you understand, even if it's not a true and full understanding, then in order to show someone that you care, you listen. To show someone that you love, you listen. And these guys are sitting on the side of the road and they are yelling and shouting because they're hurting, they're needing something, and they want someone to know about it. The same thing happens around us every day. Millions of people, they feel like they're sitting on the side of the road yelling for someone to notice. And it's for a lot of different reasons, man. They're hurting for a lot of different reasons, and maybe because they lost their job. And they may feel this way because of the color of their skin. Some of them feel this way just because of their age. Young people just feel like they have no voice, that they're not important enough. And so they're yelling and screaming and acting out, trying to get someone to notice because they want to be valued. They want to contribute. They want to have something of an impact in the world around them. And then you have the opposite end of people that are elderly and just feel like, man, their voice just doesn't matter anymore. They've lived a whole life and all these experiences and wisdom and knowledge, and no one listens. And maybe they're hurting in that place. Job 19.7 says this, I cried out, help, but no one answered me. I protest, but there is no justice. And a lot of people feel this way. I'm in a lot of appointments and meetings, and one of the things I've learned over the years is when people start getting angry and agitated, in one of these appointments or during counseling, it's rarely over the facts. People can work through the facts and the issues most of the time 
it's most often because they don't feel like they're being listened to. That's why they're hurting. They don't feel like anybody cares enough just to listen to their heart, what's happening, and they're just being pushed aside. All of us that have had brothers or sisters or or you have kids, you've probably heard someone say, man, no one ever listens to me. You've probably heard that. And you're thinking, we, we, we have no choice to, but to listen to you. Because you're loud. And you're constant. But what they're saying is, you can hear them. But you're not listening. You can't see through the yelling and the screaming to see the pain. But honestly, I did this recently with a family member of mine. They're going through a really difficult time. And the truth is this, most of, a lot of what they're dealing with, they have, they've, they've brought it on themselves. They've brought it on themselves. But when I'm in this conversation, I'm trying to help them see, like, but did you see when you made this choice and when you did, and they just got more angry, more frustrated to the point they hung up on me. And then I realized, I'm not listening. They're not asking me to fix anything. They don't need me to point out where they're missing it. It's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. They just needed me to listen. And so I couldn't get them on the phones. I just texted them. I said, hey, I'm so sorry that I didn't just listen. I know you're going through a lot. And I know you have a lot of pain. And and I'm sorry that I didn't just listen to hear your heart, to hear where you're at. And that's all I really needed to do. Well, Jesus hears. Jesus heard these two men. God's ears are tuned to hear the cries of people that are in hurt. He could hear these guys over. I mean, you imagine how loud it probably was. But Jesus heard these two. And that entire crowd, but here's the thing, he didn't just hear them. He didn't just hear their voices, he heard their pain. He heard their pain. And that's what he's responding to. And this is why, honestly, it is so important that you have real, actual conversations with people. Because there is a level of tone and intention that can never be communicated through texting. And through posting, you at least need to be able to have a phone conversation so you can hear tone, so you can hear. And then it's still not that great because you can't see their body language. And we live in a culture of people who fake a lot. It's important to have real conversations. We can see and hear and feel where they're at. Psalm 18.6 says this, in my distress, when I seemed surrounded, I called upon the Lord and cried to God from help. And he heard my voice from his temple and my cry for help came before him into his ears. We are God's representation in this world. We are God's ears to hear, to listen. You need to know that God hears the pain 
in your voice. He hears above and beyond the shouts and the crying and he hears the pain. And I've noticed that in most people's life, there is always something that is behind the behavior. There's something that is behind the yelling and the screaming. It's like the Wizard of Oz pulled the curtain back. There's always somebody behind the curtain that beyond all the yelling and the shouting and the screaming, there's insecurity, there's hurt, and there's pain. When you hear cries and shouts and yells, there's something more that they really want you to hear. And you can tell. Moms are like this. And some dads, but mostly moms. Y'all know if you've if, if you got a kid and they could be in a different room, you start to understand what different cries really mean, right? Because there's the fake cry. You understand what that cry is like. like I'm not going nowhere. I know exactly what that is. And then there's the kind of cries where something might have happened, but you're going to hear somebody running to tell on somebody real, real soon. And then there's the cries that make your skin crawl because you know that's real. Something happened. Somebody's hurt. God wants to tune our ears to filter everything else to actually understand the real hurt and the real pain. It starts with your ears. Are you listening to the pain behind the shouts? To really love people, you have to learn to listen through their obnoxiousness, uh, through, through the idiotic things that they're thinking. Because sometimes it is very faulty thinking. It's ridiculous. It's not logical. It's crazy. But can you hear through all of that to see the pain? Proverbs 21.13, whoever shuts his ears at the cry of the poor will cry out himself and not be answered. Number two, be ready to stop. Be ready to stop. In verse 32, Jesus stopped. When he hears their cries, what does he do? He stops immediately. He's tuned in to hear them, but he stops in his tracks to go address what's going on. We've said this before, but so many miracles throughout the word of God and in our own lives are gonna be performed in the middle of an interruption, in the middle of our plans being changed and stopped. When he healed the paralytic, he's in the middle of a house meeting, place is packed, doors are crowded. All of a sudden, somebody's breaking up the roof over his head and making a hole. And they're lowering this paralytic down through the hole. That would be a little bit of an interruption. There was other times when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves for his disciples. He's taking a nap. Nobody likes to be interrupted when they're taking a nap. You know? Like he's in the middle of a REM cycle. He gets woke up by some faithless disciple. We're going to die. But he did a miracle. Jairus interrupted Jesus and begged him to come and heal his daughter. That was an interruption. But on the way to heal his daughter, 
wound with the issue of blood, grabbing a hold of his robe, interrupted him again. And he healed her. If you want to see God move in you and through you, you got to be willing to be interrupted in your life. You've got to value people over your calendar. Because so many times the people that are in need and hurting and are in pain, they don't know you have a schedule and they don't respect it. They could care less. They just need somebody to love them. They need somebody to see and be willing to be interrupted. The problem is we don't always like to be interrupted. We don't like to be interrupted. Men are like this, man. Men don't like to be interrupted because it feels disrespectful, especially if we're working on something, you know? Like I learned growing up around my house, there's just like this unspoken rule. If dad is on a ladder with a screwdriver, you don't interrupt him. Bad things happen. And I didn't get that till I became a dad on a ladder with a screwdriver. My kid's coming up trying to get my attention. I'm like, can't you see I'm trying to save the world up here? If I don't get this fan working, this family is over. We don't like those interruptions. We may hate being interrupted, but people are hurting. And when you stop and when you allow yourself to be interrupted, that's where love shows up. Nothing kills compassion and kindness more than busyness. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good, not only his own good, but also that of other people. Number three, look past their behavior to see their value. Look past their behavior to see their value. Love starts with your ears, yes, but you also have to see people. You have to see, you have to look. Jesus noticed these guys. He heard them, he stopped, and then he looked over at them. He noticed them. Looking at someone means that you are giving them attention. If you are giving them attention, you are giving them your time. And your time is all you have in your life. So when you give people that attention, you are giving your life to them. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus was giving his time. And we all know his time was limited. But it was him saying, you are worth it for me to give you piece of my life. What greater value can you show to someone than that? The greatest gift that you can give your spouse, your kids, your God is your attention. It's your time because it's your life. And that's why when you go on dates, you need to put your phone down and away. Get it out of there. Throw it. Like, lock it in a box somewhere. But I know how this is, because I'll be on a date with my wife, and I'll be sitting over there, and she's talking. And my thing is, like, I feel like I'm pretty good at multitasking, right? So she's over there talking. I got two sides of my brain. Like, I can do this, right? So I'm over there, and she's talking and telling me about stuff, and I'm on my phone on the ESPN app. And she's like, are you listening? I'm like, yeah, baby, I'm listening to you. But I also need to know if Kawhi Leonard is going to stay in San Antonio or go somewhere else. This is important stuff, but you're important, and it's important. But I can give the equal amount of importance to both of these subjects. She's like, "Uh uh-uh. And then she'll give me a look. (laughs) 
that every husband has gotten before that can kill you like on the spot because she wants my undivided attention because I'm not communicating love until I do. She needs all of that. Jesus stopped. He looked over. He called out to these guys. And what happened? He was giving them a piece of his life. Jesus also had a different way of looking at people than you and I do sometimes. Some are like, oh, yeah, I gave them my attention. How many of y'all have a difficult time knowing what your face is always doing? Anybody else in the house? Is that just me? <laughs> like, this is a real struggle for me, people. Like, I got to practice in the mirror and stuff. Like, think happy, and then I'll look. Is that a happy face? No, <laughs> that is not. This does not communicate happy at all. So I was, I was trying to think of an example of this. And so recently, and y'all, been, y'all asked me to do this, and I don't really want to do this in a church service, but it does illustrate this point really well. A while back, a few friends of mine and I, we did this car karaoke video for our woman night. And, uh, and so I wanted to show you this right now. And the video, the video is not as important as what it's going to illustrate, but, but I want to watch a little bit of this because it'll, uh, it'll show you what I'm talking about. Hey, what's up? Hey. What's up, dude? How are you doing? I'm good, man. You good? good to see you. Oh, hey, invited a couple. Got wada. Cool. That? Yeah. Just hey, uh, cool. You're guys. Coffee. Hey, I'm, coffee. I brought my own, but yeah, that's the okay. That yep. works. Yeah. yeah. Buckle up for safety rules. Sorry, they kind of wilded oh. themselves. <laughs> that happens. Do it. Uh, cool. Do uh, uh, Caleb. Yeah. No, 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 no. Bad idea. Bad idea. Pledge drive. Seriously. Move on. No, pledge drive. Pledge drive, bro. Not doing it. Sorry. Here we go. Here, this is a good one. This is a good one. Yeah, what is this? Alright, turn this one out. You're insecure. Don't know what for. Yeah, they did. You're turning heads when you walk through the door. Now we're getting good music. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, kill the video. <laughs> it's on Facebook, okay? This is the reason why I'm sure that because after I posted it, one of my good friends, a good friend of Cody and I that used to work with us in ministry when we were doing a leadership training school, she posted a comment with this meme. This is what she put up. I cannot help that God created me with a chiseled chin, okay, and jaw, like, but this is the point. It's not just that you're looking at someone, it's how you're looking at them that matters. Because so much of how you look at, and Jesus had this ability to look at someone and what it communicated was complete and total compassion and acceptance and love. And, uh, and I think that it's important that we look at people and be aware of how we look at people with acceptance and compassion and love. It does not mean that we are accepting sin. We are not gonna compromise the word of God. Neither did Jesus. He didn't compromise his character. 
He didn't compromise himself. He didn't compromise a word, but he looked with complete and total acceptance, love and compassion at sinners, at broken people, at the marginalized. Total and complete love, that's the kind of love that transforms people. It says in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like, can you see our culture around us and see that and be moved in compassion? It's real easy to say that though. Like, look at Jesus, the way that, look at people, the way Jesus looks at him. Man, it is hard to do. If you don't know how he sees you, if you don't know how he sees you, if you don't understand, you are broken. You are a sinner. <laughs> you may have been raised in church your whole life. You may have been born and raised in the greatest nation in the world, but there's a lot of people who couldn't pick where they were born or who they were born to or what they were born with. They don't get to pick any of that. And you're loved and you're accepted unconditionally by your heavenly father. If you don't know that, you can't see people the way he wants you to see them. Looking past their actions is really hard to do because, because people that need love most often feel loved the least. And that's why they act the way they act. And the, the less love someone feels, the more obnoxious they're gonna be. And these guys on the side of the road, they're yelling out, ignoring everyone, trying to quiet them because they're in pain. Number four, do whatever you can to help. Do whatever you can to help. Jesus heard them. He stopped. He gave his attention to them. And then he reached out his hand and he touched them. He responded. He responded by listening to what they were asking. He asked them, and this is important. Don't you think Jesus could see that they were blind? And so he's not, he's not trying to be patronizing. He, he wants these guys to speak their need. He wants them to speak their pain. He wants them to speak. And I think that's exactly what the heavenly follower would want us to know too. Like if you're in that place, speak your pain to Jesus. Speak your pain. Let them know what's on your heart, what's happening. He asked them, how can I help you? When you learn to ask questions to people, you're learning to love better. And you are drawing understanding. Without true understanding, you can't truly love someone. It's impossible. Get really good at asking questions. Jesus asked the question, what do you want from me? They said, we're in darkness. We're in darkness. We can't see. Please heal us. Heal us. He had compassion. He reached out and he healed him. So for you, what can you do? How can you help the marginalized people around you that feel pushed to the margins and feel left out, pushed aside? Just look for someone that's in need and do what you can 
to help. There may be somebody that's sick and at home. Run an errand for them. There may be somebody that a mom whose husband is deployed and she needs 10 minutes of sanity. Maybe you could babysit for them. Mow a yard. (laughs) Become a friend to the lonely. You see somebody by themselves, do what you can to make them feel important. Show kindness to the angry. Show kindness to the angry. Yelling louder doesn't help anything. It doesn't help anything. Be there for the grieving. Look, people, sometimes when people are in a lot of pain, it's the most difficult for us to know what to do, right? When someone loses a loved one, when someone has that kind of loss, you're like, I don't even know what to do. This is the great thing. The deeper the level of pain, the less words are necessary. All they need is somebody just to be there. They just need you to be there. Just be there. Just listen. You don't have to counsel them. You don't have to come up with a solution. Just be there. Just listen. Things you can do around our church. We have adopted blocks. We're going into communities that have needs. We're building relationships. We're playing with kids. We're making them feel important. We're feeding them. We're, we're, we're taking care of needs as much as we can. Clothes, furniture. We're going into nursing homes. Those people that definitely feel like people have forgotten about them and that they're not important. We go and value their story. Value their experiences. Value their life. Of course, missions. But sometimes like that seems like the the obvious one. It's like, I need to go on a mission trip somewhere else. And you should. You should. You should. I definitely believe if God opens an opportunity, you need to get outside of your comfort zone, outside of this country and go somewhere else. And, I, and God will ruin you. I want to warn you, God will ruin you. God, you will never be able, you won't be the same ever again because you'll realize how blessed you are. If you don't, something's wrong with you. But I do encourage you, but here's the thing. You live in the mission every day. You live in the mission every day. And you demonstrate who you are as a missionary by how you respond to the people that you walk by in Walmart, at your schools. You demonstrate who you are as God's missionary, as his ambassador, by how you interact and respond on social media. You have an opportunity every day to see the marginalized and love them. Just love them unconditionally. I don't have, I'm, I'm over my time. I would not be standing here today if it weren't for a person that saw me being marginalized and reached out to me and encouraged me and spoke truth into me. Because there was a time in my life, my parents had been divorced. I was struggling in school. I was struggling socially. I didn't have any friends. I was getting ready to be homeless. 
and I was getting ready to move away from a town that I lived in for eight years of my life and I didn't care I don't I didn't think that anybody cared nobody cared and honestly I was a mess I was obnoxious I was annoying I was insecure I wasn't in a good place. I was in pain. And this girl who worked with the youth, her name was Lori Engel, saw me, saw me and heard me and looked through the situation and the circumstance and looked through the foolish things that I had done and that I had said and saw me in my pain and said, you are going to be a mighty man of God. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I want to pray for anybody that, that feels this way, that feels marginalized, that feels pushed aside. Here's the truth. The truth is, as a church, we work so hard to make sure that people feel accepted and the people feel welcome. We, you hear that all the time, welcome home. But the truth is we are not a perfect home and we make mistakes. We don't always get this right. We probably miss it more than we get it. I make this mistake. I don't always make everybody feel loved and appreciated at our church. I just wanna to confess to you right now, I stink at remembering names. I always have, I probably always will, but you have to know this. It doesn't mean that I don't love you and value you. But what is way more important to me than whether or not a pastor of a church remembers your name, it's that you know that your heavenly father who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you knows your name and knows your story and knows everything that is happening or has happened and is gonna happen around your life and he hears you and he sees you. And so my job is to point you towards him. And we wanna do that to the best of our ability. But if you've ever felt hurt by us as a church or by me personally, I wanna apologize. It's not our intention, it's not our heart. It'll happen sometimes. It's not where we wanna build a church on. And we try to show how important people are to us. But right now you may need some healing. Not Maybe not because you felt it from us, but you felt it somewhere. Some of you are here at this church because you felt it at another church. And on behalf of all Christians and all pastors and people that are broken and make mistakes and are fallen and need the grace of Jesus like everyone else, I want to apologize. But if you're here today and you've ever felt that way before, nobody look around. If that's you, will you please put your hand up right now in this room? Okay. You can leave your hands up. I just want to pray for you. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that makes them feel this way. I don't know what this pain is. Well, Lord, you know exactly what it is. And I pray by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, by the sacrifice that he made, I pray that you heal them, you restore them. And God, let them know that on this day, you heard them. You heard them. You valued them. Help us as a church, Lord, to always make sure that they're loved. Help us to be the body of Christ. This starts with understanding who you are in him. This, understand, this starts with understanding that the only identity that will ever fulfill you, that will ever make you feel completely accepted, 
and completely loved is an identity in Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, or you need to rededicate your life to him today, you need to come back to him. I want to give you a chance to respond to his spirit this morning. And if that's you, nobody looking around, I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out, do anything weird, but I'm going to ask you to be bold enough just to say, that's me. If that's you on the count of three, I want you to put your hand up all across this room and I'm going to pray for you. One, two, three, hands up right now. I need Jesus. I need a relationship with him. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Yes, 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 yes. They're at the back. Anybody over here? Keep your hand up until I see it, please. I just want you to, I want it to be confirmed in you that I got you. Thank you, guys. Got you. Yes, yes. Anybody else? I need Jesus. I need a relationship. Got you there at the back. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's just pray together. I want everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Do it with some boldness. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you today broken. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. Right now, I ask for your forgiveness and I repent. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from living for the world and I want to live for you. Come and give me a new life. Give me a new start. Give me wholeness in you. Father God, I thank you for every person that just prayed that prayer for the first time. Every person that is dedicating their life to you. Your word says that when even one person comes to the saving knowledge of your son, Jesus, that all of heaven rejoices. So thank you, God, that we get to be a part of that celebration today. God, help us to be a church that sees the way you see, hears the way you hear, responds the way you respond. We thank you for your grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's give God some praise for the people that made a decision for Jesus today. It's good.